today to talk about flow and um, to probably demystify a little bit about what flow is. And I have got what I, who I call my flow bros here with me today. So I met these wonderful guys as I was learning about flow through, uh, through a flow course, actually two flow courses, um, understanding about these altered states of consciousness. So we have the wonderful Mike Andler all the way from sunny California. And we have Steve Brophy from Melbourne, Victoria in Australia. So, First of all, before we get started, I'm going to ask you, and there's no preparation here, but I'm going to ask you both the question that I ask everyone when I have a chat to them. And that's to explain what you do um, and a little bit about who you are, but as if I was a seven-year-old. So talk to us a little bit about what is it that you do, but you're talking to a seven-year-old child. We're going to keep this simple. So Steve, I'll get you to go first. Explain what it is you do. Okay. So... It's really nice that you said like a seven-year-old because I actually would try to emulate a seven-year-old. What I try to do is that natural state of immersion where you're totally focused, completely, uh, I guess, immersed in a world of play and you're deeply engaged in what you're doing. I help adults get back to being a seven-year-old and really by doing that, just getting out of their own way. Nice. Love it. What about, what about you, Mike? What's your answer to that question? So, uh, first of all, Steve, thanks for mostly stealing my answer. Um, I think that's the benefit of going first here. Um, so very kind of a very similar thing, but uh, maybe a bit more when the two of you, as if the two of you were seven year olds playing in a playground and there was a swing set, and Steve, you wanted to swing on the red swing and Georgia wanted to swing on the red swing as well. What I do is I work with both of you so that the three of us form a team and I explain to, to one or the other of you the benefits of maybe picking a different swing for the first part of the playtime and how you and Steve would be able to work together and both of you would end up enjoying this, the playtime more in the end nice i like that yeah. very cool all right so we're here to talk about about flow and helping demystify flow for people that are listening or watching i'd love to hear from both of you what your interpretation and what you believe flow to be let's start there and just see where the conversation flows sorry to pardon the pun so i'm going to just open up either of you jump in i'm not going to facilitate here so what do you think what would be a state of flow oh steve i'm gonna go first this time good, yeah good, i'm gonna good, go first, good. first. Just, this one. just uh just to be clear are you are you more asking for our our definition or are you asking like for an example of a of a flow state 
I think a definition and then we'll probably, I think, got talking into what um, a flow state is and what it could feel like would be somewhere where the conversation can definitely go. So, you know, a lot of people I think out there don't really understand what flow is because there's a there's this thing that people think that flow is about, you know, allowing and going with the flow, but we're talking about an altered state of consciousness. So what is that? You know, what is this state of consciousness? How would you describe it? Right. So. I've obviously I've thought about this pretty extensively and really the fact that I've thought about it plays pretty heavily into the way that I personally define it. And I, I define it as a deeply psychological, um, a, a state of immersive thought about any activity. So if we jump into an athlete, um, I, I believe that it is, a, it is a process of thinking in a very specific way and having a very specific understanding of the situation that you're involved in, in, in such a way that your, your thoughts about the experience helps propel you into a more efficient, uh, efficient version of the experience. So, for athletes playing basketball, you know, they they often enter these flow states during games. But it's I I personally believe it's a result of extreme preparation and extreme understanding, kind of beforehand and during the event, where they you lose yourself in in your own immersion in the event. So, for me, with fitness, for example. I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in a gym and learning about the exercises to do and learning how to do them. But now with flow training, I, I'm thinking at a much deeper level about what would happen, why would my body work better in this way? Why would it work better in that way? What would happen if I, if I focused more deeply on my alignment of my body while running on a treadmill or looking directly straight ahead as opposed to turning from side to side while running or so it's for me it is a state that gets induced by deep thought about an activity and that activity could be it could be reading a book honestly or it could just be sitting on the couch or it could be sports or it could be you know there's a lot of talk with flow and extreme sports where there's high consequence, in my opinion, the high consequence is entering into a state of almost absolute vulnerability, physically, psychologically, emotionally, where you trust that it's going to work out because you've, you've thought about it so deeply. And I, I realize that that's probably a, somewhat of a different interpretation than than most, but unfortunately, that's that's what I've come up with, and that's the best way for me to understand how it applies to everything, not just athletics or you know extreme sports or the the, the places where you typically hear about flow states. Awesome. So there's a lot of 
what I'm finding there's a lot of places in our lives that we can actually apply this flow and notice it turning up. What are, what are your thoughts, Steve? So I'm going to stand on the shoulders of giants on this one. And I love the how concise Stephen Kotler, the author of Rise of Superman and, and Stealing Fire, has for flow. And it's basically flow is our optimal state where we feel our best and perform our best. And what... Uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who is the psychologist who basically brought flow, they call him the grandfather of flow, he brought flow to the people. He says that it's an autotelic experience, which means it's a self-goal. So that means what I'm doing, I'm so intrinsically motivated to do, I'm so deeply captiva captivated with, there's a little stretch from my current skills, so it's challenging. And what happens is your brain goes into this state, which is one of the only times you released like five of these amazing neurochemicals at the one time. And then you basically lose track of time. You, your inner critic goes offline, your fear diminishes, and it's really you getting out of your own way. So flow allows people who know intrinsically inside that they have this next level but they're too busy in a, their thinking mind. And so the flow cycle is literally you struggle, release, let go. And by that release, like stressing and resting, you tap into this higher level. And so you, like if you use the, the analogy that Mike used there, if I went to the gym and I lifted weights really heavy, I have all these micro tears. If I go back to the gym the next day without resting, my body can't repair and get the benefits out of it. Now, if I stress my body, let it rest and repair, then there's improvement. But what happens is as human beings, we're so caught up in a kind of continuous partial attention that we forget to get deeply immersed in something. And so for me, flow is when we move from thinking mind really into our bodies where we allow the sort of subconscious to take over our programming, our skill mastery to really take over and I'll just allow it to do its own work. And there are examples at the Olympics where people are just in the zone, but as soon as they start thinking slightly about their technique, they're out. And it's when you just allow the work that you've done to just happen and flow. Uh, and then you tap into this beautiful, amazing state and, and yeah, it's incredible. It is incredible when it happens. And we've got Michael who's uh, attending in the webinar at the moment. And um, he just, he, this is a response to you, Mike. He said, uh, Mike, what you just described happened to me on the webinar the other day. And when actually Mike, you asked him, Michael, a question. There's so many Mikes and Steves in my life at the moment. Um, he says, on the webinar the other day, when you asked me a question, you got me thinking on such a deep level to answer your question that I felt like I entered flow without even meaning to. It happened totally unconsciously. Um, and he asked a question here. How does one enter that state intentionally and at will? So, you know, we learnt some of this and we went through the flow course. So what are your thoughts, Mike, on how if I intentionally want to get myself into flow, are there some hacks to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of hacks that like, I mean, I'll speak about just what I did just before this call. Um, I Number one, I took an ice cold shower, like unpleasantly cold walk in the door of the shower and immediately turn it on and it's never anything but ice cold and 
that that to me i to anyone listening to this i would say that that is the single best thing that i've taken out of all of my training in all of these subjects because it is 100% accessible anyone can do it it is it causes you to get get way outside of your comfort zone initially so your your the challenge is a psychological challenge and there's a there's almost a perceived physical challenge even though everyone can physically tolerate a cold shower um, but what it does is it it instantly puts you in a state where you have to sort of you have to have faith in your ability to get through something that's that that's just not normal and while you're getting through the the coldness and the discomfort that you that you've formerly perceived and so it's it has this challenge associated to it it has this effect of of basically dropping all of your your it it takes your body into a slower state where it's just this relaxed state and so once that's done i would sit and i would do very very deep and um very intentional breathing for maybe five minutes maybe 10 minutes and let's say if i was going to start a race for example potentially i would put on a very specific song that i've built kind of a, a muscle memory a brain muscle memory that this is these are the steps that i take before doing something so here it's this call tomorrow it's going to be going to the gym and hopping on a treadmill maybe i'm tr going to try to run a mile faster than i ever have so the the answer to the question michael is basically in my opinion there's there's almost nothing that couldn't fit as a flow trigger the key is building the repetition and again thinking about it like for me i just explained to everyone listening to this call what i associate with a cold shower it could be total bullshit. there may be nothing associated with a cold shower but i can tell you that when i get out of bed every morning and i step into the shower those thoughts that i've put together about this event it works and when i get out of the shower i i feel like i could fly off off my balcony down to my car 14 floors below and do anything that day so it's i think it's again i think that it is there's a tremendous amount of of sort of self psychoanalysis to figure out well which what's going to work for me and then trying it and thinking about whether it did work and you know when i'm in the shower every morning i'm the first thing i'm doing when i'm standing there is i'm thinking about does this seem cold or is am i is this is this no longer even uh, even out of the ordinary for me and if it is cold on any given morning why is it cold so there's just a lot of thought about each of the triggers and what you know what if i change the song what if i play a song that's you know a different different pace or a different band or a different different lyrics and how does that affect the performance and so it's just stacking these things on top of one another so i mean to be honest with you I, there's for me there's a whole slew of these things and they're kind of going on throughout the day 
I mean, there, there's almost never a time when I'm not doing something that is now some sort of a trigger that I've like put in, put in the recipe book basically. Um, and, and when you, when you recognize the fact that at the end of the day, this is a psychological state, you have to also accept the fact that you are the one that gets to create that state. So if all that it took for you is listening to one three minute song, that's fine. That's fair game. If you want to throw a cold shower into the mix, that's fair game too. If you want to drink some coffee that's heavily caffeinated, great. It's not going to be the same recipe for you and someone else, but it's this, it's this deep curiosity and belief that it actually can and will have an effect if you pick those things properly. And then it's just a matter of being patient enough to figure out what those things are for you. Yeah, awesome, Mike. What about you, Steve? Oh, look, I'm gonna to add to that, Mike, because I, I, there is no, while there is kind of categories of triggers, it, there's no one true formula that works for everybody. It's a really, uh, I, I tried on kind of approach, but very much ritual based. So first thing I guess I would start with, like I'm going to talk from two contexts. One is how do you do it? Say for example, you're wanting to do some deep work. It might be writing a, a presentation, whatever it is that flow follows focus. So if you don't, if you find that your attention is constantly moving from thing to thing, constantly switching, there are notifications on your phone, you open up a browser and all of a sudden there's 50 tabs, you are basically wading in the shallow water. And there's a really great book by David Lynch called Big Fish. And it's saying, if you want to catch the big fish, you got to go to the deep water. So what I would do is look at how, what, are, what conditions create the best environment for you to focus. Ritualize those so that you know that you basically creating the, the most chance for you to drop into flow. But also know, like Mike said, it's a psychological state that's not on tap all of the time. In fact, we drop into flow and then there's very much a time where we're just, you know, we might be in conversation and so forth. So really create a checklist around focus, turn off things like notifications, monotask, create a, like an environment. You might put brain.fm on to have, you know, binaural beats going but find out what are the things that get you focused and then can you do that for an extended period of time? So for example, I don't book any meetings between nine and 11. I don't check email until 11 o'clock because I know that that's the time when I'm going to go deep fishing and catch that big fish with deep, deep concentration. If you're in a group context, like what we've got going on here is, and the reason that things pop up, I guess at the intersection is we're creating this container of, psychological safety so that Georgia and Mike can both feel that they can talk openly and will add to each other's idea. And what ends up happening is we don't have a, like a plan of where we're going. We kind of have what's called fuzzy goals. And in the end, what comes out between the sort of conversations. So if you take jazz, for instance, when you have jazz improvisations, there are times where it just sounds like sounds horrible, but when they get in tune with each other and I've had that experience playing, in a band where you feel like that band 
is just one person and you are so in sync and that's incredible. And so part of it is if you're in a group situation is how can you create a safe space for people to feel that their ideas are valid, valued and you can add to them and then creating that space where I'm not sure where we're going, but we're going to have an enjoyable ride. And then for your own focus is to try a bunch of things that work for your own focus, breath work. If you're into coherence training, look up heart math and, and they work around brain and heart connections because it's incredible. Cause if your body is in harmony, you're more naturally inclined to get into that deeper concentrated state. So yeah, create the on-ramp with your focus checklist. If you're working with a group of people, how can you value what they do, listen attentively and create conditions where you basically keep the ball up in the air and come up with something beautiful? Yeah, I love what you mentioned there about group work. I, I've got a corporate background and there could be potentially people watching the replay of this that work in a corporate environment. And we tend to, like when you have these uh, brainstorming sessions, people shut each other down and that just cuts flow. It stops the ideas from percolating and from generating. But if you just go, it's like that on onstage um, improv, isn't it? You just yep. run with what they've said and how can I add to that? How, not how can I shut that down? How can I add to that? How can I make it better? And that's really gets the group flow happening. And what you find is that you have Steve, you'll be contributing, Mike, you'll be contributing, and then I'll be contributing. So now we're creating this whole new consciousness around us of ideas that none of us as a single person could have brought to the table. So the group flow is really powerful in so many different situations. I'm just going to read a couple of comments on here that have been coming up in the, um, in the webinar. Michael Laurie added something else. Um, so he said, is it really about finding the thing that works for an individual and can it be different for everyone? So I'm just going to touch on that. So for me, you guys have shared what you do to get yourselves into flow. I have a very similar sort of routine and I think it's part of the routine is I'm setting myself up for flow. Um, yes, cold showers, not every day. And at the moment it's freezing here in Melbourne. So my Come cold on, showers Georgia, are- it's not cold. A long, long <laughs> yeah. shower followed by turning that, on the cold tap for about 30 yeah, seconds. That, and standing under that's, it. that doesn't count, by the way. My that's not a flow <laughs> trigger. Just for just anyone listening, that, that is not- I feel awesome <laughs> afterwards though. It, maybe it is a trigger for me. So there's- okay. There's meditation, what I do. I have, uh, you guys mentioned this as well, I have music, um, a, set, a set primer of music that I listen to. Now, I didn't, music's always been in my life, but now I actually bring it into my life specifically with certain tracks that I know make me move into a different state. So I might be feeling a little bit sluggish, but I know there's music, a song that will change my state. And knowing that it'll change my state, I'll have an altered state. Therefore, I'm more likely to drop into flow. So there's that, there's the food we eat. I mean, here's something that's really interesting. I noticed the other day, I haven't had um, muesli. I think you call it granola in the States. And I decided the other day to have some muesli for breakfast. My state of consciousness went from going through all my flow um, routine in the morning, having this bowl of muesli, to being flat out, no energy and not in flow at all that day. Like the food I'd wow. eaten actually changed my state. And I paid attention to that to the point now where I will not eat that again because I now know that that really does alter 
my, my state, my, my brain waves and what I'm capable of doing. Now, from going through and understanding what you guys are talking about, about flow, having put in uh, a morning routine, no notifications, um, not touching my phone until a certain time in the day, uh, getting main tasks done, I've just been in flow so much more often. So yes, Michael, it is different for everyone, but I think once you get into a bit of a routine, you can set yourself up for that state. And when you're in flow, it, as Steve said, it's just everything stands still, everything's effortless. Um, and it just, things like time, time just disappears and you get so much done. Absolutely. And Georgia, I'll add to that because we're now currently like from a, a neuroscience point of view, we're very much in a, a beta state. We're consciously engaging in conversation. But for flow, it hovers as you move down from thinking mind into alpha and theta, which is really like the, the land between just before I go to bed and daydreaming. And so if you think about the activities that I guess take you down a few notches to not be always thinking and thinking, because we're just stuck currently in today's society with, you know, access to information. We're stuck in a perpetual cycle of thinking and overbraining and overanalyzing. So I guess the thing is find out what drops you down a few notches. And so it might be a walk. It might be yoga. It might be music, meditation. It might be exercise, whatever it is, but find the things that can take you down that just, I guess off like a, that you probably like for me, if I play guitar, I pick it up two hours later, I go, Oh, where did the time go? And it's just this beautiful experience. And like I said before that self goal, I just do it because I love it. So find those things and place them throughout your day. Now, unfortunately, flow might not be in your job. For some people, they may not be able to tap into it, but you, that doesn't mean you can't have it in your life. It means that your flow states might be when you go, you know, surfing on the weekend or whatever you do outside of work. But yeah, just find ways to come down a few notches. Yeah, one thing that I'll add to, actually a couple things that I want to add to that one is a question that I've wanted to ask both Georgia, you and Steve. Um, and it's something I've been thinking about actually a lot in preparation for this, uh, for this discussion. And that is, do you guys think that there's a correlation between left brain, right brain thinkers and the attainment of flow? So that's the first question. The second question is really kind of related to that. And it, it also is related to what you just said, Steve. I actually, one of my ways of getting into the deepest flow states is to think extremely intensely about flow states, not necessarily about the specific thing that I'm doing, usually not at all about the specific thing that I'm doing. So a good example would be meditating you know most people would say you kind of should be clearing your mind while you're meditating or single-minded focus is is a fairly common way of describing it but i often think really deeply about the concept of meditating and about well what i wonder you know what what would have to happen to my brain during this meditation session for me to get really, really deep, and and what would that look like? What what would what would my vision 
start doing with my eyes closed? You know, am I going to start like, so really thinking about the concept of, of flow states is for me, the best trigger of them all. And that's typically what I do when I'm doing anything, you know, whether it's, whether it's walking my dog or whether it's in the gym or on a business call or anything in between. So it's interesting to hear you kind of almost, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but almost relying on dropping down into lesser thought. Um, I, to me, I think it depends potentially quite a bit on the, on the exact, on the actual subject of the thought. Do you think, you know, just what, based, based on what you're saying, Mike, do you think that what you're doing there is you're, you're really setting an intention by having that deep thought about, okay, I, it's almost like an intention. I want to get into flow. Now, if I'm in flow, this is the, this is the uh, experience that I, I think will happen. And sometimes it's different to what we think, but it's almost like you're pre-programming, giving yourself a command to enter that state. Do you think that's well, just... There's a, there's a slight, I think there's a slight tweak. I obviously, you know, the goal is to, to get into a flow state, but, but what I'm really thinking about is, am I just doing everything that I could be doing that might be a trigger? You know, I, I'll tell a story that, that happened to me this week. That's, that's a, to me, it's a really, it really explains like the level of thought. So I started swimming after being a fanatical athlete for 20 years. I started swimming about two months ago and I, I, I had no experience swimming. Um, I knew how to swim, you know, if it required me to swim underwater to get from point A to point B, but it, as far as technical swimming, I had zero experience. And after about five times, um, which in this just maybe 10 times, this just happened this week. I, I realized that when I turn my head to take a breath between every four strokes or whatever it is, I would close my eyes when my, when my head came out of the water. And so I, at, for the rest of the time I was swimming, I was thinking about this and trying to figure out why I was doing this. It later occurred to me that as a result of me wearing contact lenses for 35 years when I get out of the water or in the water without goggles on I have to be very concentrated on keeping my eyes closed or my contacts will fall out so this is just a habit that I've built over 35 years every, in the shower in pools anywhere and everywhere this is something that I've done instinctively well now I'm swimming and I've got goggles on and I'm going from staring into the bottom of the pool with my eyes wide open, and it's awesome, to turning my head to the side to take a breath. My eyes are closed, and I mean, here it's pretty awesome if they'd be open then too, because I'm looking up at the sky or whatever, you know, the nice blue sunny day in LA. And so, so I figured out why I was doing it. And then I decided, okay, well, this, I need to just not do this anymore. There's no, I, there's no, there's no need for me to keep them closed or, you know, to switch back and forth in this scenario. And as soon as I figured out how to keep my eyes open the whole time, my swimming literally improved 
And I'm convinced that it, it, it was truly the energy, uh, the thought and the energy that my brain had to use to, to be managing this transaction of closing my eyes that was just taking away from my energy in other areas, such as me going in a straight line down the pool and me getting the, you know, a, a fluid, fluid stroke and having my breath, my breathing be um, consistent. And so in the past two days of swimming, I'm, I'm 10 times better than I was. And that's the only change that I've made. And so thinking about things at that level, like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone into that and said, Hey, I need to keep my eyes open because that's going to get me into a flow state. But what I would think about is why the hell am I doing this? Like what would happen if I didn't do what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. How would that change things? So it's more thinking about the process of trying to trigger the flow state. I'm not thinking about the end result. I'm thinking about the process that's happening at every, every minute of the, the, event. If I'm on a treadmill, I'm thinking about, am I aligned enough? You know, am I, I've got this weird thing where I keep my left shoulder up. So I'm constantly thinking about keeping my shoulder down. I'm not thinking about getting into a flow state. I'm thinking about just doing various little tweaks that all together might work. So what, what you're saying here, Mike, is that you are no longer and this is something that Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about a lot, okay? And he talks about helps people get into um, altered states. Um, so you're talking about you are no longer the program running your life. So the program is I'm <clears throat> closing my eyes when I'm swimming. I'm running with my shoulder up. That's the program. You are now the observer of your program and you are making incremental changes so that you can become yep. better at that. Yes. Yeah? And, I, and you should tell me which book he talks about that because I haven't read that book, but that's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. Can and, I and, answer and that also? Yeah, Sorry, yeah. Let, me, let me say one more thing. It's with a fanatical belief that any aspect of that program is up to me to change whenever I want. And, and the goal is if it's a habit, you know, I mean, this thing with closing my eyes, we're literally talking about every shower that I've ever taken in 35 years, I'm doing this. So it's very hard to change your blinking pattern when it's something you've done literally since you're 10 years old. But that's another part of it is just the, the absolute belief that you're the one that gets to decide if the habit continues. <laughs> and I would say that the two things, I guess, one is that you are so deeply present within your own body that you can focus on it. And that's one of the key elements of flow is that people are really, it's called the deep now, like you're so concentrated on this particular moment, but also Mike for you and your particular, in your form, you, there's a, there's a clarity around your goal. Like your goal is specifically when I breathe, I'm concentrating and open my eyes. So that, is a, within your skill and challenge ratio. So you have clarity around what you want to achieve. You're deeply present. It's just past your current skill. And right. also what you're doing is your body knows how to swim. So you're giving it something physical to occupy it while you concentrate. So you've got this kind of 
in a way you're in a release state because swimming is very meditative. If you do laps up and down the pool, it can, you can get very trance-like. So you've got clarity around your goals. It's right in your skill to challenge, deeply present. And then you drop into this flow state. And so you literally, what, what everybody, like say, for example, you're talking about your running form with your shoulder up. People try to correct their shoulder up and then the knees there and they do all these different things. But having one goal that's a stretch where you deeply focus on it helps to give you something to work towards. So all of those things just click in to helping you drop into that amazing, you know, optimal state. Right. And that's that, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons why certain types of music, if, if we're talking about meditating, I, my theory is that the certain types of music with meditating or doing anything for that matter, it occupies just enough of your thoughts and your brain and your, the energy that your brain would otherwise maybe be using to think about unimportant shit that's going to happen later that day. And it just blocks that off. And so that's, that's pretty much exactly what you're saying here. I know now every time I have to breathe, I'm going to be concentrating on this thing with keeping my eyes open and it just blocks off some some cycles that, that can't be used to be worried about things or they can't be used to, to think that I'm not a good enough swimmer to be a better swimmer. So it's, that and that's where to me the vulnerability thing really comes in is that you it's just this it's an implicit certainty that you have everything that you need to do whatever you're doing at the the highest and most enjoyable level and i mean that could that could be having a conversation with a cashier at a coffee shop or it could be doing it literally anything it's just this implicit belief and and where the group flow comes in as you were talking about earlier georgia that's where i really think that vulnerability is the absolute key thing i think that's all that we're doing here is we're having a conversation and we've all just implicitly agreed that we're going to be vulnerable to the fact that it's going to go fine and we get to decide what the definition of fine is because we just have certainty that anything is going to be good enough and that that thought process and that that sort of agreement is what causes it to get into that state of flow i've got some comments on here that i just want to read out to you guys for our our, our participants so thank you katarina isabel michael shika and tanya so shika made a really good comment here and i think this is something for us all to be aware of he said it's really interesting to observe how how we're talking about, like we're talking about a routine, about forming a routine, but what most of us don't realize is that we're waking up, checking our phone, doing our notifications, doing things we already do on a daily basis itself. It is routine. And he says, so I think I just have to make a more productive routine. Um, and then, yeah, I absolutely, Shika, absolutely. The things that are going to take you away from flow is screen time. Television does not induce flow yeah. at all. There is so much science behind that. The notifications and being, when something is controlling you, like notifications and things like that, taking your attention away, that takes away the opportunity for you to drop into flow. 
absolutely guaranteed. So the more you can get the control back, like turning your phone upside down, pushing it aside, not taking it into the room, you're opening yourself up to be able to drop into this state of flow. So absolutely do what you can to create a routine that is more susceptible for you to be able to, you know, move through your day and have more opportunity to move into flow. So Shika, love that observation. Can I add to that one as well, Georgia? Because habits for me, excuse me, we default to our programs. So often, like the thing about flow is we're deeply present. You can, you, you basically see life in HD. And often we go through the day not even realizing that the first thing that we do is touch our phone. And so most people will, oh, I'm always on my phone and they'll notice it and then they'll judge themselves and they'll get into this negative spiral. So I guess, Chico, the first thing that I would do is put your phone out of, out of harm's way. There was a recent study that found that even just having somebody else's phone in the room can actually impact your capacity to concentrate and your working memory. So what I would do is just notice and then create the conditions. So if you were trying to diet, you wouldn't have next to your bed a big burger because that would just be like temptation. So you create the conditions that will enable you to be successful and just notice them. And then how can you do that in a daily? And even things like getting your kids, if you've got kids or a friend to hold you to account. So I do that with my, my daughter. I say it to my daughter. If dad's on his phone when he comes home from work, you have to come and say, dad, get off your phone. So she's my accountability coach in that. So you get community around you, but just notice because we just do default to our programs. Mm. But if, as soon as you notice them, you can start to put into place some better habits that will better serve you. Yeah, absolutely. The observation of what you're doing and questioning it, that's, that's where the power is. I talk about this a lot with my, with my clients, with people. Our ultimate power is our ability to choose. But first of all, it's our ability to notice what we're doing. So what Mike was saying earlier, you know, we get to observe. But a lot of us don't. We just wake up and just go on our merry way and just pretty much doing what we did yesterday and we're just photocopying it onto today. We're not observing what we're doing and whether it works for us. So one of the things for us is to be able to observe, what am I doing? Is this actually helping me get to where I want to go? You know, does the shoulder up high, is this helping me run better? Probably not. So I'm going to now pay attention and make my shoulder lower, keep running on the treadmill until having a low shoulder is automatic. Right. Yeah. So then you're observing, you're observing your life. So you can do the same thing to be able to bring flow into your life. You're observing what you're doing and the things that are actually distracting you from flow. I really think flow is a natural state. I I don't think it's as much as dropping into it. I think we actually can be there, but we're so distracted by life that we don't actually have that opportunity to experience it more often. I want to ask you a question, Stephen. This is based on something that Isabella's just asked. So um, she said, I would love this group flow in our family dynamics. And um, Steve, because you, you, I don't have family and I know Mike doesn't have children either. So what do you do to help with, you know, getting your family into a state of flow? What are some of the triggers, tricks, tools? Okay. So I've got a, there's two examples. One is the, I can only control in that situation, my participation. And so what I mean by that is if I have partial attention so that I 
um, my half my brain is at work and my half my brain is you know with the kids then I'm not giving either the, the best of my ability so the first thing that I do for group flow for family is learn to transition between work and home how, like get that so how do I close off work how do I put a book end to that day so I know like do your most important tasks so you know for tomorrow I'm going to focus on these three uh, write down whatever it, you like what went well for that day but find a way to close the door on work create like a vacuum like a transition chamber between home where you so when I go home with my kids I duck into our room I drop in I do what went well I do some breath work like literally like three breaths I get changed into my home wear which is just a tracksuit and some mud boots and then I leave my phone in the room, close the door, and then I go and be dad. So that's the first thing is I like learn to transition well. And then when I'm there, paying full attention to them. So if they're asking me something, it's like trying to have eye contact uh, and really just being present. So that's the first thing, because as soon as you notice that, the, the level of, I guess, tension within your family drops down as well. And then also with my kids is, is introducing like for my, for my son, who's four, he, we're introducing skill and challenge. So we have a little point system. Now it's very extrinsic at the moment because that's what he's, he's for, but he knows that he's got to work towards something. So, and then we, what we, I guess I do is make sure that the things that I value are in line with the things that I'm doing. So if I say that I value people paying attention, then I look at my daughter and I give her my full attention. If I'm on the phone, then I'm saying, oh, we sh you should be attentive. And then I'm on the phone and then it's in, like your, your trees and your value are out of alignment. So I make sure that my values and our family values are in alignment. And then just give them full attention. And you know what? Play with them. Play is like the default mode for flow get on the floor and build Lego. Like I'm, I've got this amazing Lego piece that I'm building that I've taken all the pieces. They sit beside you and they just, they are just glued to you. They, they flow is just easy on tap. I'm hoping it rubs off from them, like more flow from them. So they're the sorts of things that I would do as a parent. You've just gone up a couple of notches. You were really pretty high already, but as soon as you mentioned <laughs> Lego, like I'm there. Like I'm I'm a I'm a little Lego groupie from years ago. So <laughs> thank you. And um, Isabella actually also mentioned that the other day um, she did the same thing with her daughter in relation to the phone. You know, telling her, you know, if you see me on the phone, tell me to get off it because we get so engrossed in these things, these habits. And here's something that a lot of people don't realize is that the, the mobile phone itself is, you know how we scroll like this? That itself is an addictive nature that we do if we were to go to um, the pokies or if we were to go somewhere in LA or anything to do with gambling, there's this, this is actually a mechanism for addiction. So the phones themselves, we become, we become addicted to technology. So we've got to now take control over that and having kids, the innocence of kids to be able to pull us up on that is it's better than your partner because your partner, you'll probably turn around and get really angry at them. But when the, an innocent <laughs> child says, hey, dad, get off the phone, oh, you're more likely Steve. to do it than, than your wife saying, hey, Steve, get off the phone, right? 
I usually have tuned that frequency out. So, <laughs> but it's uh, like that, to add to your point there, Georgia, about there's a great like our brains from an ever, evolutionary standpoint are really old, but this kind of like executive prefrontal <laughs> component is really new, and so we've got these old brains that are programmed to like scavenge for for food and remember. Like that's why dopamine gets released in our brain. It's like you found food here just remember it maybe because sometimes you you might come back and find that and we're also doing that with information mm -hmm. and Robert Sapolsky calls it the magic of maybe so we have oh because sometimes you might have got a good email or a good notification and so you that dopamine is kind of released going oh yeah there's there's potentially just remember email you got some good stuff there so having the understanding that you've got this old brain trying to adapt to this really fast paced modern world Give yourself some breaks. Give yourself like put the phone in the room, put the phone in your child's room and have it like, you know, put a picture in front of them as you put the phone there just to give you the triggers to remember why it is you're trying to pay attention. Hmm. Yeah. Paying attention is really key. I'm just noticing the time and um, we've been going for almost an hour. So I'm just going to ask the guys that are, uh, on the webinar if they've got any other final questions or thoughts for the guys while we just keep talking any sort of anything else they want to know I know Michael's just said he's going out to buy some Lego now uh, Mike Andler do you have Lego anywhere in your house no but I'm a huge fan and I've actually I when I go to any toy store I'm looking at the Legos and it's not because I the reason I don't have them is because I haven't found one that's like complicated and expensive and just ridiculous enough <laughs> that it's the one that I want to buy. But this search has been going on literally since I was probably eight. <laughs> so here's the thing. I want to bring up one other point that I'm surprised that Steve hasn't brought this up. Um, one thing that I've focused a huge amount on since, you know, since we all started on this kind of training together, if you will, is the importance and the quality of sleep mm -hmm. and the the simplest thing that i've the simplest thing that i did and that probably pretty much anyone could do if they wanted is completely eliminate tv watching in bed so the screen time on the phone is one thing but i i've had a tv in my bedroom since i was i don't know 13 maybe and only as of about seven months ago, did I just completely, I've literally not turned the TV on one time in I think six months, seven months. Um, but the other thing that's a hack that everyone can do, I've never heard it mentioned and I started doing it and I personally think that it probably in, improves the quality of my own sleep, maybe five to 10%. And that is when you wake up for whatever reason in the middle of the night, whether it's to go to the bathroom or because you're not sleeping well or any other number of reasons, there is never a scenario where there is a reason to see what time it is. And what I believe is that checking to see what time it is, there, there's, there's, never a, there's never a scenario where the information that you get from that is actually helpful. And it's almost always the case that your thoughts after checking the time when you wake up in the middle of the night have some sort of a negative 
connotation to them. I don't have enough time that I get to continue sleeping, or I can't believe that I've only been asleep this long, or you fill in the blanks, or I only have this much time before I wake up and I have to do such and such tomorrow. There is literally nothing that is positive about knowing the time in the middle of the night. And if you just stop doing that, your speed to falling back to sleep probably decreases or in your, the time it takes you to fall back to sleep is essentially zero. If you just look at the clock, you, you've thrown yourself completely out of your sleep flow. So yeah. that is the best hack that I've come up with since, since this whole thing. That and the cold showers, Georgia, the real cold showers. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I want to add to that about sleep because I want to add on top of, because I, I do I do agree with you about looking at the clock, you know, it doesn't pay us, it doesn't really do anything for us. But I do do that. I do look at the time. But what I've noticed is how I've hacked that is I'll look at the time and say it's 2.30 a.m. I used to go, shit, it's 2.30 a.m. I haven't had enough sleep. I've got this, this and this to do tomorrow. And I start panicking about what I've got to do tomorrow. This is what your story is. This is why I don't sleep. Now, when this happens now, I've retrained myself. So if I look at the, the time and I see that it, oh, it's 2.30 a.m., I go, that's all right. I'll, I always fall asleep anyway. And even if I only have three hours sleep, I, I, I know how to hack that. I've never, ever failed or stuffed up on no sleep. So then I start changing the story that I used to tell myself about I can't handle if I don't have sleep, I won't be able to function correctly. And I start rewiring the brain to tell myself, it's okay, I, I know I can get through the day on a limited amount of sleep. And as soon as I do that, I actually drop back into sleep. Like I've changed the, yeah. I've rewired the story. And I had to do that because I was traveling and crossing so many different time zones that I'd, I wasn't sleeping well and I had to run workshops. Um, for you know workshops for a full day and sometimes I was running them on two hours sleep and I would get through the day and go I did that so now I have evidence my brain has evidence that I can actually function quite optimally on a low amount of sleep but I don't recommend doing that because seriously it does catch up with you but that's I think it's a lot to do also with the story we tell ourselves in those situations you know you can rewrite yeah and that's right and that's I mean that's a that's definitely making the best out of out of this activity of checking the time. I still I still don't personally think there's a whole hell of a lot of value to it, but in your case there is a value in that you learned that you didn't need x amount of sleep to still function, but my response to that is why not take it even uh, to an even higher level and be able to function when you don't even know how much sleep you got mm. because you wake up, you don't look at the clock. It takes X amount of time for you to get back to sleep. That could be one minute or it could be three hours. You're still going to do your work the next day. So, I mean, it's your, you have, your answer is very interesting. And I, I definitely don't dispute that if you can find a way to make some positive information out of it, then great. It just happens to be the case that very, I've never heard of a person that says, yeah, I woke up and looked at my clock and it was 3.30 and I did cartwheels because I was so thrilled about it. It's usually, <laughs> I woke no, up at 3.30 and I couldn't get back to sleep and they always know what time it was. 
So. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, um, and here's the thing. It's not that I'm, my initial when I wake up is not jumping around doing cartwheels. I have to tell myself a different story. So yeah, you're right. right. Maybe don't even look at the clock. See, yeah. my reason for waking up is usually he's about four years old and it's usually a foot in the backside or his bad breath and stinky nappy. So there are different <laughs> reasons. I'm glad to get up. <laughs> All right. So um, I can't see any other questions coming through from our wonderful contestants. So I just want to finish up for each of you. Are there any final words for people that are, are listening around how they can potentially you know, utilize this state of flow in their lives more, um, more productively and, you know, any, any other final hacks or anything like that that you'd like to share with them. And also from each of you, if someone wants to reach out to you and work with you um, and go a bit deeper through your knowledge, um, because you both actually have businesses in this area, um, could you also just share the best way to make contact with you? So uh, Steve, you can go first. Sure. Um... Look, the, the best advice I would give to somebody who's looking to find out what works for them is your life is evidence already of the deeply immersive states. So think back to times, like for example, I used to, uh, to think I love to get up early in the morning and work by myself and do this. So I thought all of my flow experiences would be me holed up in a cabin somewhere by myself. In actual fact, my best flow experiences were in groups. So look back through your life, pick out the times where you just felt in the zone where like you felt like you could take on the world and the world moved in slow motion when you felt like, you know, Neo from the matrix. And then try to decode each of those things and find out what, is there any consistent pattern? And then the rest is, as you can see from this call, there is no tried and true recipe. Yes, there are some things that, that, that work, but you got to try them on for you because sometimes, you know, I'm a morning person. So I get up at 4.30 in the morning because that enables me to get deep work happening. But for some other people, 4.30 in the morning never exists. They're 11.30 at night. So find out what works for you. So there's no one, tr one true recipe. But once you find that, like what Mike and George have been saying, make it a ritual so that you can recreate those conditions and tap into it uh, much easier. So I guess that's segue uh, into the work that I do is my business is called Thrive Capacity. So you can reach me at www.thrivecapacity.com and I help individuals tap into A, first starting with focus and then focus by working on focus, you increase productivity, but then you learn to drop into flow and, and build habits and sustainable habits. So I do that from a personal coaching point of view but I also work with organizations to shift the culture, especially if you've got an organization that has open plan offices, which are just constantly distracting you. So yeah, so I have that coaching, which is a one-on-one or once to a small group and working with businesses to allow them to drop into to flow as well. Thanks, Steve. Mike, over to you. What's your final tip, hack, and um, how can people contact you? So, for me, I think that the key is will, being willing to challenge yourself, like challenge, get, your, get out of your comfort zone of thought and 
be willing to, uh, you know, I mean, we've been sitting on this call for an hour talking about pretty, some of this stuff is pretty obscure. Some of the stuff like this thing that I told you guys about me blinking while swimming. I mean, these are not normal thoughts. They're, they're like pretty deep thoughts. And that's what it might take you to, you know, what Steve just said to, to draw comparisons between these different areas of your life where you felt like you were performing at your best and to find commonalities and they might be very very strange commonalities but that's what it might take for you to to figure out what are your triggers and what works what doesn't work you know i thought it was very interesting georgia what you said about waking up and eating muesli and it completely threw you off i've had the same observation with myself is that if i if i now don't eat the right things it's just it you just it, it just doesn't work anymore. It, your brain doesn't respond the same way once it gets those routines down. Um, and, you know, again, I think the other thing, and it's basically, it's just a different way of saying to challenge yourself is be very vulnerable. Be vulnerable in the things that you're willing to try. Be vulnerable in conversations you're willing to have. Be vulnerable in asking questions to people. And I mean, I, I know from my relationship with Georgia and Steve over the past six months that I'm speaking for all of us, you can, anyone who is listening to this, you can reach out to any one of the three of us, whoever you feel like reaching out to and ask any question on this topic. If we don't know it, we'll try to find someone who does or we'll work with you to figure out the answer. Um, and that goes to the point that it's, it is really, uh, it's, it's a deep exploration. No one is going to be able to tell you, do A, B, C, and D, and you will enter a state of flow. It, if someone tells you that, immediately run, because it's not going to be legitimate. Um, and uh, as far as what I'm doing, you know, right now, I'm, I'm basically focusing on the, the building of a business that is, it's very similar in many respects to to what Georgia and Steve both already do. Um, it's probably geared a little bit more toward somewhat of a fitness element involved, but it's definitely not exclusively fitness. Um, my background historic, you know, for my career has been in software technology management. So there's a lot of elements of team dynamics involved. So that's why topics like vulnerability and group conversations, that's, those are areas that I'm very interested in and, and really starting to work with people on identifying how there can be more harmony in those scenarios. Um, so it's, kind of, it's really a combination between you know, fitness coach, life coach, therapist, and you know, crazy off the beaten path friend who tells you weird shit that you could do that might work. That's kind of, that's kind of why you would want to call me. <laughs> Number one. Awesome. So Mike, how can, how can people reach out to you? What's the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, you can get me on Facebook um, or mike.andler, A-N-D-L-E-R at gmail.com. Beautiful. Awesome. So thank you guys. I just want to um, just say to everyone that one of the, the key things, one of the key hacks I think for life and getting into flow in general is just to pay attention. So pay attention to what you're doing, what you're thinking, 
and the results of what you're doing and what you're thinking is actually how what that's turning up in your life. So I paid attention to my muesli, didn't work for me. You know, yep. you, you were all paying attention to the things that we're doing and we're making the changes so that we can have that better life and flow, I think is a part of that. So thank you so much for your time, guys. Thank you for the, our attendees who are on board as well. Thank you for your questions and your input. We may even, I think we might have to also, um, come back because there's still a lot of areas we haven't spoken about in relation to flow. And I think we can go even deeper with this too. So I think there's even, there's more, more ways that we can get into flow with altered states of consciousness and levels of awareness. So thank you so much, flow bros. Love talking to you as always. And um, we'll talk to you all later on. And if you've got any other questions, these guys are in the Conscious Architects of Life group. So please reach out, tag them in there if you've got anything you want to say to them. So have a great evening, Mike, and have a great day, everyone who's here in Australia. Uh, on the Thanks, East Georgia. Australia. My pleasure. Thanks, Bye Georgia. for now. Today is turning into the most curious adventure I've ever had.